This is episode number 20 with Jess Gumkowski, the co-founder of Yogi Triathlete. Welcome to the Good Life Coach Podcast. I am your host, Michelle Lamoureux. The intention of this show is to awaken you to your fullest potential. Join me each week for inspiring interviews to elevate an area of your life, as well as interviews with women entrepreneurs who are creating success on their own terms. Each episode provides actionable tips to guide you to design a life you love. Hey there, it's Michelle, and welcome back to another episode of the Good Life Coach Podcast. Today, we are going to be talking about meditation. Now, it's possible you already have an ongoing practice, but for those of you who know that it's good for you, you keep hearing about how important meditation is. You see Oprah with Deepak Chopra doing their 21-day meditation program. There's all of this data out there telling you you should be doing it, but oftentimes, People have tried and they're not sure if they're doing it right or how they're supposed to start. And so that's what I wanted to cover in today's episode. I have brought on Jess Gumkowski. She and her husband, BJ, have founded a company called Yogi Triathlete. Now, they work with the endurance and ultra-endurance sports community. And Jess's piece is to bring mindfulness and meditation to optimizing their performance, but also their lives. Jess has been a meditation teacher for over 10 years. She's also herself a longtime endurance athlete, ultra runner, and multi-time Ironman triathlete. She is a vegan lifestyle coach and educator, a yoga instructor, speaker, and podcast host, as well as the author of two cookbooks, both focused on high-vibe recipes that are vegan-based. Why I wanted to bring Jess on in particular is that she was really reluctant to start a yoga practice and meditation. She had a lot of resistance to it, and I think a lot of people do. You know it's good for you. You've read the research, and if you haven't, all you have to do is Google benefits of meditation, and you'll see everything from stress reduction, anxiety reduction, um, helping you to be more present in the moment, less reactive. I mean, the benefits go on and on. So we are going to start out first getting into Jess's entrepreneurial journey, and then she'll introduce us to everything we need to know about meditation from a foundational level and how to get going. The show notes and all resources mentioned will be over at thegoodlifecoach.com forward slash zero two zero for today's show. Now let me introduce you to Jess. Hey, Jess, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me here, Michelle. Oh, I am really excited to talk about meditation and making it a part of our life. But your story is just so interesting that we have to take a step back. And I would love it if you could introduce us to who you are. Uh, You are the founder of Yogi Triathlete. So I'd love it if you could explain what that is, but what your journey was to get to creating this company that you're the founder of with your husband. Yes. Well, it was funny because the company kind of came to me. So, but I'll backtrack prior to that. So I've been practicing yoga since the early 1990s and I'm 47 now. So that was a long time ago, but, um, I wanted nothing to do with the mindfulness and the meditation piece of it. So at the time I was an event planner, I was doing wedding planning in Newport, Rhode Island, which being from Boston, you probably know where Newport is. It's an amazing, amazing place to live. And I was a wedding planner and I was in my twenties. And I, I mean, I, I used to have this like pink silk and Taylor suit. And they used to call me the pink tornado because I was a perfectionist. I was <laughs> so type a, I, I mean, everything had to be perfect and then redone and redone and redone. And just, I had a lot of stress in my twenties, but I thought that was just how everybody lived. I was having trouble sleeping and all of that. And I went to a yoga class and so you hear these stories about people who go to yoga classes and they, they're they like, it changed my life. It was amazing. Well, I hated it. I absolutely <laughs> hated it. And I specifically remember, so this will be very telling to your listeners of the person I used to be, but I remember being holding Warrior Two in that specific class 
and, and thinking very violent thoughts about how I wanted to harm the teacher because I I just was in this stillness and what stillness does. And I know we're going to get into meditation, but what stillness does is it allows us to see what's brewing under the surface. And what was brewing under the surface for me was like a very large volcano about to erupt. Mm. So I did what most people do. I was busy, 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 busy from, you know, waking up to going to bed and, and all of that. And so practicing yoga, uh, fast forward, my husband and I moved to Boulder in, uh, in our late twenties just for a change of life. And, you know, just really seeking this quality of life. We both had this part of us that was really seeking higher vibrational living. Okay. And we, of course, we didn't know that at the time, but we're just following our hearts. I've always been a a risk taker. I've always been very, very intuitive. So we moved out to Colorado, Boulder, Colorado, and we ended up getting into triathlon. And so here we are in in uh, in Boulder, and, and we're doing triathlon, and I'm still doing yoga, and I'm a massage therapist at the time, so I'm working with a lot of triathletes. And I'm in our home, in our bedroom, and I'm in triangle pose. So if anybody knows yoga, then they know that pose. And I'm in triangle pose, and it just hits me. I get what I would consider to be a download that I was the only triathlete at that time that was doing yoga. Mm. And of course that has changed. Yoga and meditation and mindfulness are like, they're almost mainstream in endurance sports at this point. And my husband was a web designer and I just, I came out of the pose and I went into his office and I said, can you see if yogitriathlete.com is available? And he's like, yeah, what is it? And I said, I don't know. It's something, mm. and and I'm supposed to listen to this. So I go back in, I finish my practice, and for years, Yogi Triathlete sat dormant. Mm. And then it became my blog where I talked about training for Ironman and, and, uh, and doing yoga and how those two things brought me to the same place, but from very different directions. And mind you, at this time, I'm still not meditating. I'm in massage school. And we're doing a lot of practice around embodiment and, um, and visualization and all of that. But anytime the M word came up, it was like, I was back in my eighth grade civics class with Mr. Robbins, where I was like, okay, 15 minute meditation. I'll count to 60, 15 times. Mm. That's how I'll get through it. So Mm -hmm. I was enduring it. And, um, and then we actually were called back to Newport, Rhode Island in 2010 And we moved back to Rhode Island and it was the way I describe it after living in Boulder and no offense because I grew up in New England. So I love New Englanders. It's still in my, in my blood and my bones was I describe it as like driving your car into a brick wall and then backing it up and driving it into the wall again and backing up and driving it into the wall again. It would just felt really dense. It felt really harsh. It felt like there was no space and it was because that lifestyle in Boulder really became who I was and it resonated with me. And it was funny because of course, years and years and years, people would say to me like, you should probably meditate. You know, that would, that would be (laughs) beneficial to you. I was super judgmental. I was just on the go, go, go. Like, you know, panic, anxiety, and all of that stuff does not go away on its own. It only festers and only gets bigger. So the explosions were bigger. The cries were bigger. The desperation was bigger. And in 2010, I go back to this little town on this island and I find my meditation teacher, which is Mm. crazy to me that I would find this amazing man in Newport, Rhode Island. And so that was 2010. And I went to a couple group meditations and did a little bit of the, okay, I'm going to count to 60, 60 times. And then maybe I'll count to 60, 40 times. And I'll just take 20 minutes to kind of sit with myself. And it was easing in. But what I found was working one-on-one with my teacher was really the gateway for me to, of course, become the teacher that I am now, but to understand and really embody what this meditation practice was unfolding in my life. And it's, it's been, I mean, I cannot imagine a day without it. Wow. You know what I love about that? Sometimes the things that we're resisting, 
is actually what we're supposed to be doing. I just actually interviewed a woman on the craft of writing and how a lot of us have resistance around embracing and owning that space. So I think that that's really a great story, but I know there's more to it. So um, let's go back a little bit. At what point did you go from, I hate yoga, I want to gouge the teacher's eyes out or (laughs) (laughs) kill this person, to I actually want to teach it because you did end up having a thriving yoga practice. So how did how did that come about? Well, I remember leaving that class and as much as I wanted to hate the experience, I couldn't deny that I felt better. I couldn't deny that those few moments that felt like a living hell for me laying on the mat, which is now, you know, I now know is Shavasana, which is my favorite pose. Something happened to me. My nervous system started to calm and I thought, whoa, I I felt like I was able to exhale. So I went back. And I went back and, you know, in my twenties I had back pain I had some knee stuff and I was always active. I was always quote unquote healthy, but the yoga started to heal me in a way that, um, was very natural and just a byproduct of the practice. So, but make no mistake. I mean, it really was a physical exercise for me, something that, also lended to reducing stress in my life. And I, there, there was that part of me and it's in all of us that really prefers to live that way. And then in, in, in tandem with that, I was receiving massage. So I became a massage therapist and I knew that that was a part of my path, but I knew it wasn't the end all. And from that, when I moved back to Newport, not only did I find my meditation teacher, I found my yoga teacher. So for years, I knew that I was going to teach yoga. Again, just intuitively, I know these things about my life. That was one thing I knew about my life. So rarely do I make decisions based on intellect and pro-con lists. I do a lot of things intuitively, and we'll get into how big some of those choices that we've made can be just from like an intuitive hit. And what happened was it was my 39th birthday, And I walked into this yoga class because I had been to so many yoga classes, right? I mean, we're talking a long time I had been practicing and nothing really resonated with me. And I walked into this class and the teacher just spoke like we were having a conversation. There was no yoga voice. He spoke English. So I didn't have to try and figure out what the Sanskrit, all this stuff meant. And the things that he was teaching were very simple mindfulness practices that I was able to put into application right away that started to change my life after the first class. And I just really liked his no-nonsense way of teaching yoga. And I thought, okay, this, this is the guy that's going to teach me. And he, was, he didn't even have teacher, teacher trainings at this point, but I just kept going to his class because I figured I can learn from him by going to his class. And, um, then he started doing teacher trainings. And so I did my teacher training in 2013 and that organization is, um, live, love, teach. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, it's very non-traditional. It's not, you don't learn Sanskrit. You don't, you don't learn a lot of the things that I think you would learn in another yoga teacher training. You learn a lot about the ego. You learn about meditation. You learn about mindfulness and you learn, um, they put you in very, very uncomfortable positions to allow you to get to the other side of that fear so that when you stand up in front of the yoga class, it's not about you. It's not about you. It's about trusting the present moment and allowing words to flow through you. Mm. Where we don't plan our classes. I don't have a script. When I stand up in front of a class, I have no idea what we're going to do or what the first word is out of my mouth. But I will stand there until those words come. And I love it because it almost creates this awkward silence where people are like, oh, what's happening? What's happening? You know, and it's it's like introducing people to silence again. I don't mm. play music when I when I teach and it's very breath-based and using that breath as our point of focus. Whereas most of the time, and for some people their entire life, their focus is on the commentary and the thoughts in their head. Mm -hmm. So this creates a space where you can start to see the mind and you can see the tendencies and you really learn a lot just by doing that. Oh, sorry. Yeah. You know what I love about your story too, is that you've talked about how intuition drives you and you've always been connected to it. Yet your thinking mind was trying to keep you so busy and disconnected from it, yet you still kept taking the steps. And I think that that's a good message for people to hear because 
I think a lot of us can relate to that busyness and, you know, the doing and the doing, because if you do sit, you may get that hit that you're supposed to be going in a different way. And then, then once you're aware of it, you can't undo that. And then that keeps wanting to come into your mind. And then you're like, oh my God, I'm going to have to change and change is difficult, right? For Yeah, it is. I mean, it's it, because it moves you into the unknown. So our minds are always looking for certainty. Yes. They're, it's always looking. I mean, think about like the last time you got sick or somebody got injured. You're like, how long is this going to take? Like, when am I going to be back on my feet? And, and so you're in that unknown and the mind does not like that unknown because it doesn't have certainty. Mm-hmm. Unf- unfortunately, what happens is in our, in our, just our epidemic search for certainty in our life, we continue to limit ourselves because the unknown is where all our potential lies. It's where all the possibilities are. And I have like disrupted my life completely from these, from these little, little and profound intuitive hits. But I can tell you that, oh man, if you can, risk is not comfortable for anyone. It's just some of us are willing to keep moving forward through that risk. And when you can do that and, and really, really put like your, your, all of your will and drive into trust, what unfolds is beyond what our little minds could ever have planned out on a piece of paper. Absolutely. And that's my hope with the show, that people will hear someone like you or the other women entrepreneurs that I feature and they'll go, okay, if she can do it, I can do it too. If it's possible for one, it's possible for me. And, you know, all of the stories, nobody had a clear roadmap and yours is great. So why don't you tell us about how your husband, BJ, and you kind of packed everything up? I mean, literally packed everything up and left a very abundant lifestyle and moved to California. So take us there and then we'll get into the meditation piece of it. Cause I think this is an important piece of your story. Yeah, it's a very important piece. Um, and of course it's been something that's been in the making for a very long time, right down to when I was a little girl and I, when I was little, I used to watch the love boat. Okay. So you might, you're, you're like my era. So I, you know I the watched love the love boat. Absolutely. Yeah, it's really funny. The love boat. So, and they would always leave from a port of call in California. And I would, there was two things that I knew about my life after watching the love boat. One was that I was going to elope, which I did. And number two, that I was going to live in California someday. And that California has called me for a very, very long time. And when we were living in Boulder, so we were in Boulder from 2001 to two, almost 2011. And during that time span, my husband and I worked at home. I was massage therapist and he was a web designer And I remember one day he called me in and he said, you got to check this out. And it was like the first tiny home we'd ever seen. And we were both like, we want that. I I want that because to me that meant freedom. And I've always been a very free spirit. And so at that point I was looking at our debt. I was, we were in our thirties. We had bought a house. We had another town home that we were renting. We owned a ski condo. We had an abundant life. We had a ton of debt. I had a house that looked like a pottery barn catalog and we were paying all that stuff off. So I thought, okay, step number one, don't accumulate anymore. No more debt, no more stuff. And then we just started slowly getting rid of things, things that we didn't need, you know? So if you opened up a drawer there weren't spare candles in there. If there was a candle, I was burning it. So we, we pretty much had a, a pretty tight household as it was. We had one car, we had no TV. And then when we moved from Boulder in 2000, late 2010 to Newport, that was a mass cleansing. Mm. And because we were moving into a smaller house. So about by about a thousand square feet, we moved into a smaller house. So that was helpful. And there was just another big purge. And then we get into this house, which happens to be my dream house. It's a, you know, 110 year old, old captain's Victorian cottage, white picket fence, black shutters, white, you know I mean? The whole thing, right? Mm -hmm. Quintessential New England. It's the house I dreamed of my whole life. And here I am living in it. Now my husband has, he's working for one of his clients when he was in a web design business, basically offered us this amazing silver platter. And we thought, let's do it. This is going to really give us a chance to get our debt paid off and start to save money and all of this stuff. Because you get married and you kind of go into this weird 
uh, trajectory of like, oh, I'm going to buy things now and I'm going to have grown up furniture and all of that. And, and I was, I was watching that as I went along and yes, I loved all those pieces from Pottery Barn and Pier One and everything, but it, it wasn't, my joy wasn't coming from those things. My joy was always inside. So we go back there and we live there for five and a half years. And again, like I said, it was quite um, a disruption as far as like, whoa, this is so different than living out West. And the calling to live out in California was getting louder and louder and louder. So in December of 2015, we had just lost, uh, one of our dogs had, had left this earth. We had, both of us had just finished racing Ironman Cozumel. And it was the week after we had gotten back and I was just in a meditation. My husband was at work. So at this point in December of 2015, he's making a great paycheck. I'm making, you know, a hundred to $200 a class teaching yoga. The car is paid off. All of the debt is paid off. There's nothing. We're at that point where we can start putting money into, I remember just being like, oh, I'm going to throw a thousand dollars into our savings. Like, and having that not even affect us. So I was like, okay, we're now we're in the slipstream. We're at that place you're supposed to get to. So in December of 2015, I sit down for this meditation and it sounds so cheesy, but it's so vivid in my mind. I saw the words, they were white and I can, I could pick out the font and it just said California. Oh, oh, I love it. Yes. <laughs> I love it. Right. Yeah. And so I see that I come out of the meditation and I text my husband and I say, we're out of here. I got a plan. He immediately, like immediately I can see he's texting me back and he goes, as long as it's warm, I'm in. <laughs> Guys are easy. <laughs> right. Yeah. He's so easy. He has always trusted my intuition. He has Aww. always just been like, yes, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. And so he comes home from work and he's like, what's the plan? I'm like, I don't have a plan, but all, you know, so I tell him about the meditation. I said, I think we're moving to California. And, um, I said, there's something big between point A and point B. And I don't know what it is, but I'm going to keep meditating and I know I'm going to find out. So within a week that filler between those two destinations came in very, very clear that we had a message that we needed to get out. And that was that living a more vibrant life is within reach for everyone. And so whether that's through your food, whether that's through cleaning out your cluttered closet, whether that's, you know, starting to a walking regimen, whatever it was, we wanted to get this message out that you don't have to live a life where you're going through the motions. In fact, I really don't believe that we're here to go through the motions. I believe more than ever now that we must, must do what we love in this life. And so what happened was over the course of six months, we told nobody until Easter. So that was in April. I told my family, we told nobody because we wanted to make sure we were so steadfast in what we were doing because we knew that people were going to think we were crazy. Mm -hmm. So not only did we move to California and sell our dream house, we got rid of everything we owned. So when I tell you that I tore up pictures of grandparents and nephews and threw it in the trash and donated my grandmother's jewelry to boys and uh, big brothers, big sisters, and all my pottery barn furniture was just on the, on the curb saying free. I mean, people were like lined up, like they knew that things were coming out every day. It was so, because I was like, I just want it out. I just want it gone. Mm. And we moved everything into, we both had a carry-on suitcase. So my whole life was in a carry-on suitcase. Mm -hmm. Mind you, I'm a triathlete at the time. So I've got my, I had a carry-on suitcase for my life. And then I had a race bag for my triathlon gear. We had our bikes on the roof and then we had one backpack. So if you wanted to bring a book, if you, I brought my Tibetan singing bowl, we brought a couple books, I brought a notebook, but everything, all of my books from massage school, all of my meditation books, I brought um, The Power of Now and I brought the Bhagavad Gita, which is the classic Indian spirituality text of the every man's battle with the mind. And we moved into our Honda Fit with our dog Clark, who's a big golden retriever. And we left on June 14th, 2016, and we didn't know where we were going to live. And we didn't know um, how long we were going to be on the road. And we didn't have an itinerary. We just drove away. Wow. And it was like epic. It was epic in the sense of what we had done when we left. 
but it was also still just life. Yeah. I, I went on that trip with me. So right. it, gave us a, a, it put us under a microscope. Yeah. For six months. Yeah. I've said that to my husband, wherever you and I are, and our daughter and, you know, that's home. It doesn't actually matter. Although we had that calling to California. And I think it's interesting that you didn't know where you were going to live. We pretty much didn't have a place to live within, you know, we had the, the, the school reserved that we had to focus on. We had our bags packed. We had the, the tickets, but within a week of it, we found the place we were actually going to live. So when you have a kid too, that's, you know, that's not normally how we roll, but the calling came through and I can't agree with you more that you have to live your fullest expression of yourself. And that's what this podcast is about. So let's give some tools, but before actually quickly, so tell me what is a Yogi triathlete? I love the name of your company. You said back in, was it 2010, you got the hit for the name? It was like two, th- it must've been like 2006. I got Six. the hit. For so the, even longer. Like, yeah. Like okay. it was like, cause it sat dormant for a while. So, so what is yo? what, what did that mean to you or what did that ultimately become? So what is it that you and your husband yeah. run? So it's, in, it's incredible what it's, what it's become. Um, and it was all because we took this risk and we put everything into it and we told the universe, we have no plan B universe. This is it. We're all in. And Yogi Triathlete is on a mission to create a better world. And so how do we do that? Right. How um, do you do that? What we do is we bring mindfulness and meditation to endurance sports. Mm. So we have a team of 20 plus athletes that my husband coaches and every single person on that team gets meditation and yoga on their training plan. These people are training for ultra marathons. They are training for Ironman. Some of them are just looking for a change in their life. They, you know, they're on a walking plan. So it's not, we don't, we're not just working with elite athletes. We're working with, with every athlete. I think that being a human here on this earth makes you an endurance athlete. So we do that by by challenging the heck out of them through mindfulness and meditation and being B, uh, BJ, who is our coach, my husband, he puts a lot of mindfulness into the training where, you know, you go out and there's no watch. And so you don't know how fast you're going. And so detachment and, and basically how that factors into our creating a better world is that these athletes are, are setting goals and, and reaching their athletic goals, but also through the tools that we're giving them through meditation, through yoga practice, through the mindfulness in the actual physical training is that everything in their life is getting better. Their marriages are getting better. Their communication is getting better. Their ability to listen is getting better. And simply we've seen through, I'm going to take a a little sidetrack here to a study that was done at Harvard university in 2011 where for eight weeks, they took average Joes, right? So people working full-time, people working at home, people working part-time, all of that. For eight weeks, they did um, mindfulness-based meditation practice and 20 minutes a day. And when at the end of the eight weeks, they said, you know, how are you doing? And they were like, ah, you know, this person at work doesn't annoy me as much as they used to, or I'm sleeping better at night. And, you know, they're reporting all these things. So they say, okay, that's great. Let's look at the brain scan. So they did a brain scan at the beginning of the eight weeks and they did brain scans at the end of the eight weeks. And at the end of the eight weeks, what they were finding was increased gray matter in the parts of the brain that allow us to take in the perspectives of others. Mm. compassion, Mm. self-regulation, all of these things that we need. But one of the biggest things that they saw that they weren't expecting is a decrease in the gray matter in their fight or flight center. Mm. So our our response to stress was starting to regulate, starting not to be so much like we get a voicemail and it's like a tiger jumping out. So these are the effects that our athletes are getting. And then also we offer mindfulness and meditation. So I work with people one-on-one. I'm also co-founder of the M21 Revolution, which is an online meditation and mindful living community. It's $21 a month. It's like 70 cents a day. It's ridiculous. So uh, we do, we've got about 70 people in that group. And then we also help people transition to a plant-based diet, uh, to a more vibrant diet. So again, people feeling better, people making decisions, not so much reactions, but learning how to respond, um, feeling better about themselves, setting goals that they don't know if they can 
can do. And, you know, not only do they achieve them, but they master them. Um, you know, being able to sleep at night, all of these things we believe is creating a better world because there's more people putting out higher vibrational energy into their day and it's affecting every single person around them. So to us, the trickle effect is, is incredible. And we also have a podcast like yours. That's, you know, about people looking, finding and, and living their purpose. I love it so much. So let's talk about high vibing and doing that through meditation. Um, mm-hmm. I'd love to transition now into just, you know, where does someone start? So just like you, you were resistant. Oh I, my God. Right? Yeah. You had serious resistance. And I've tried, and there's days where I want to get up and do it, and then I want to stay in it longer. And then there's other times where, you know, like many of us, it's like, oh, I don't have time for that. So speak to us about that, Jess. How do we get started? So how do you begin? Um, the first thing to understand is that, you know, I, I live by, through the teachings of yoga. So yoga is an eight limbed practice. It's not just the asana or the physical practice. That's one of the limbs and there's eight limbs and the sixth limb is concentration. The seventh limb is meditation and the eighth limb is the super conscious state. It's the state of, um, where we embody the oneness, right? The, just the, the totality of all things. So the first thing we've got to do is we've got to train the mind. We've got to train the mind to concentrate on one thing before we can have any experience of meditation. So what most people are doing is they're concentrating the mind. They're not actually meditating. So meditation is the mind in deep rest. Well, that's a big ask if you're just beginning to meditate. So true. That would make me run in the opposite direction. That's way too big. Are you kidding me? I've got to get my mind at rest? No. Is that why we fall asleep sometimes? Yeah. Because, <laughs> well, well, maybe I, I should speak for myself. No, I'll tell you. I, well, the first thing is when you, when you sit in meditation, you want to sit. Oh, and I did one time. So you'll laugh, Jess. I was sitting on a dining chair, no arms to the chair in the window. It was morning, like nine o'clock in the morning. And it was sunny and warm and comfortable. And I wasn't tired. I will tell you, I was, I'm a very high energy person. I was not tired at 9 a.m. And I sat and I woke up half an hour later and I was laughing because I'm like, I can't believe I didn't fall off of this chair. But like, what happened? Why did I fall asleep? Like, was that resistance? I mean, it made me kind of like, I was curious about that. Yeah. I think it's like, you know, when I used to have people come in for massage, um, that if you need, if, if that's what your body needed, I think it was allowing like a deep state of fatigue to, to come through. And I'll tell you that in the height of my training, like especially Ironman training, I have fallen asleep sitting up because they say that they will, you should sit up so you don't fall asleep. And I have definitely proven that wrong (laughs) many, many times. Okay. Okay. So to get back to kind of the basics, understand that the first thing you're doing is you're just training the mind. You're just concentrating the mind. And this is there was no class on this. There was, there was nobody ever taught us how to train the mind. They told us how to use the faculties of the mind to memorize data and information as we went through school and to feed the intellect. Well, what we're doing in meditation is beyond the intellect. We're, we're moving into expansion and the intellect is not expansive, right? Remember, it's always looking for certainty. So the intellect is different from intelligence, intelligence is like creativity and wisdom. And that comes in the present moment. So you can be a really intellectual person and not very intelligent at all because intellect is just feeding the, like your brain as the intellect as a computer system. And you're just adding new files and saving those files and, and all of that. So what we do in meditation is we want to train the focus kind of like what I was touching upon with the way that my yoga teacher taught yoga and how I teach yoga is we want to start to realize that our awareness does not always have to be glued to the commentary in our, in our heads. That if we can take that focus away and put it on the breath. So two really effective ways to concentrate the mind is number one, through breath exercises and number two, through a mantra. So I always start my meditations with three to five like different breathing exercises. 
and I'll do about three rounds of each. And then I move into a mantra. And for years, that mantra took me to when the timer, you know, went off. But now I'm at a point where I can just intuitively know when the mind is ready to settle and then I can move into that quote unquote meditation where the mind now expands. So you want to start with number one, this understanding that all you're really doing is training the mind to concentrate and that you do not have to stop your thoughts. I think that's helpful. Say that again, because people need to hear that. Yeah, this is huge. Not about stopping thoughts because what we resist persists. So if we're like, oh, I can't stop these thoughts. I've got to stop these thoughts. I've got to stop these thoughts. No, they're just going to continue to persist. But I I equate it to like a campfire. So if you've got a campfire and you want, it's time to go to bed now. So you want that campfire to go out. What do you do? Do you put lighter fluid on it? Do you put more wood on it? No, you let it burn out. But remember those embers at the end, those are the hottest ones. Mm. Those are the last to burn out. So it's, there's layers to it. And at the beginning, it, it, it can be a very frustrating process if you allow, if you indulge that frustration to, you know, okay, I'm on the breath. I'm in the mind. I'm on the breath. I'm in a thought. I'm on the breath. I'm in a thought. I'm on the breath. I'm in, and this is what I'm talking about with the street fight. This is what it was like for me. Like, oh my God, I just did a 15 minute meditation and it was chaotic because all I did was keep catching myself in a thought and bringing myself back to the breath. But it doesn't matter. That doesn't matter how many times you find yourself in a thought. It's when you realize that you're there that you can come back to the presence of the breath. And those are the moments of victory. So it's, it's like training a dog, right? Like we don't want to get upset with the puppy. We don't want to hit the puppy. You don't want to be violent to the puppy. You know that the best trained dog comes from positive reinforcement and love. So we want to love the mind because number one, we created the craziness of it. We did it all. And it's just doing what it's been trained to do, which is to think and analyze and remember and reason and give perspective and opinion and, and regurgitate. And it's just doing what it was trained to do. Meditation, concentration and meditation and mindfulness will allow you to kind of have this new plane of existence, like this foundation from which to move through the world. I think that's so helpful because I think a lot of people including myself, feel like, oh my God, am I doing this right? Or what's the point? I keep thinking and, uh, or you feeling like you are failing at it. And I think people want to feel like if I'm taking the time to sit and to meditate, I want to, I want to be meditating. And so, so what's realistic then, you know, so, so you said, even if your mind goes and you bring it back, that in itself is doing it. And so at some point is that, is that the gaps between the thinking and the breath will go longer? Is that the ideas? Okay. So, so then, so where do you go from there? Yes. So eventually, so, so eventually what will happen is you'll, you'll have bigger gaps where you'll be able to concentrate more on the breath. And the benefits of the meditation or you're not going to see those and don't look in the meditation. Don't look at if it was good or bad outside of the meditation, you're going to catch yourself like, Oh my God, that guy just cut me off. And I, my first response was to take a breath. That's when, you know, the meditation is working. It's going to show up everywhere else besides the actual practice. It's going to show up everywhere else first. Yeah. And I'm really glad you referenced that Harvard study of 2011. I actually saw that on your website and I screen captured, you know, I put the notes down here to get into that because I think a lot of people need for the thinking mind, the mind needs reassurance that this is a worthwhile endeavor. The mind needs, certainty. it does need the certainty. So the, the data is there, and now it's about really getting into it. Now, I know you don't practice a particular kind of meditation, meaning I, when I was looking into it, I looked at transcendental meditation, which is like $1,500 to learn. And I know, like, is it Ellen DeGeneres and uh, Seinfeld? You know, a lot of big names have followed that and swear by the benefits of it. And then John Kabat-Zinn's mindful meditation, I've looked into that. I've done more of that kind of meditation, but... 
you know, let's make it so that it's so approachable because it sounds like you don't follow sort of those I courses. I just don't label. Yeah, I don't label I don't, it. I like so, that you don't label it. I'm not a fan of labels. So, so yeah, let's- labels are limits. There. I love that. That's, that's a tweetable right there. <laughs> labels are, are limits. I love that. Wow. So Jess, what would somebody do then if, you know, they, like you mentioned a mantra. So how do you know though, should I, if, if you have a certain kind of way of thinking or something, is it, is a mantra better for certain people versus breath or, or what's the approach in terms of that? I like, you said you I did like both. A- Yeah. I like a combination of both. Um, I also highly recommend that you work with a teacher. And if you look at any of the ancient scriptures, I mean, they're like, I like to, I like to paraphrase, paraphrase ancient scripture. And they say, you're crazy. If you're going to walk this path without a teacher, you're nuts. Like this, because you, because What happens when you meditate is that you start to commune with your higher self. This part of you that knows all, knows why you're here, all of the things you're supposed to get to the other side of, it knows all. It has all the answers. You don't need to read another book. You don't need to take another course. It's got all the answers. So you start to commune with that energy of who you truly are, which by the way, is the same energy that creates worlds. You cannot do that without resistance. So consider resistance, the shadow to our dreams. Mm. You have to have the resistance. You have to have the shadow show up. And so the teacher is going to be the one that's going to be able to help you understand when you're in resistance and that very resistance is showing up for you to get to the other side because that resistance, so we we can call it ego energy, wants to keep you in this state of separation and not communing with your higher self at all. Yeah, no, I so believe in all of this and I've experienced this myself. And, you know, I'm thinking actually with TM, Transcendental Meditation or Mindfulness Meditation, the benefit of those programs or having the label on some level is that, like you said, it becomes a way to find those teachers. So if one resonates more with you than the other, then follow that path. Don't make it so complicated. It exactly. Like, yeah. And you know, it's in, and they're businesses, right? Like Yogi triathletes, a business because I have a right to pay for food and I have a right to, um, to, you know, go on vacation. I, that is my divine right to enjoy the fruits of the world here. And that's abundance. And everything, if you think about everything as currency, so I'm not saying anything like, oh, transcend- oh, it's just a business. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is they're offering a high level of currency and you're paying them currency back. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's just an exchange. And the thing that I think is helpful for some people is they've got the certainty, the understanding like, okay, this is transcendental meditation. Okay. I've got that certainty. I see the outline. And for people who are more intellectual, who are really fed off that data and information, that might be more of their comfort zone. And so for me, it's like yoga. I don't care if you're taking beer yoga or vinyasa or Kundalini. I don't care what you're doing. As long as you're rolling out that mat and you're getting into that laboratory of self-study, that's great. So whoever it is that you work with, find what resonates. Sure. So I guess I'm thinking back to what you said in terms of all the answers we need. We don't need another course. We don't need another book. I think a lot of us are out there on this journey of seeking and wanting more information. And then that in itself almost becomes sort of an addiction too, of just wanting more information and not putting it into practice or just keeping the mind busy or the, you know, the mind wants to keep you busy. So, you know, is the first step then to just try it at home or is it really to get this teacher and then have that person guide you? Because, you know, I'm thinking there's even apps out there. Like I've tried Headspace. I mean, do those suffice or does it need to be a person? Yeah. Um, it's different for everyone. It is. in, And I know like that is such a frustrating answer for the mind because there's no certainty in that. There's no certainty in that. So I'll tell you how I started. I started with 10-minute abundance meditations on YouTube. It was a guided meditation. This was before I met my teacher. And I was starting my massage practice up in Rhode Island, and I wanted to create abundance. It was 
a selfish desire, but it got me to meditate. And also because I was like, it was a safe place for me to enter. Sure. Because it was financially driven. <laughs> it was financially driven. <laughs> right. And I knew I had to do something to keep my bolder lifestyle in Rhode Island. Yeah. And then my teacher, you know, it, it's, it's, um, very commonly known in the spiritual world that when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. And yes. that's exactly what happened to me. My teacher appeared. So it's, you know, are you, are you a very, are you an intellect? Are you very much, in, are you a scientist? Are you a doctor? Um, you know, are you somebody who was always really looking for that certainty? Then maybe starting with Headspace, which is guided, is going to give you that certainty. And it's funny because I've worked with some, I, a lot of the folks that I work with have started with that kind of thing. And they said, okay, then it just starts getting annoying and I want, and I want silence. And it's like, that's a really good place because that shows that this communion that you're having is not being denied just because you have a guided meditation, but it's coming out stronger. And that part of you that's inside is that stillness, that undisturbed nature, the unconditional love, and that just wants space and it wants silence. And so if you start with a guided meditation, which is what I started with, then maybe you'll outgrow it. So it's really key to pay attention to what your relationship is to what you're doing. And for some people, they're like, like me, I just want to go directly to my higher source. I don't want guided meditation anymore. I don't want anything in between me and the energy that creates worlds because that energy that creates worlds, that's who I want creating my business and my next step and everything that I'm moving into as a professional, as a business owner. So I know that the single most important thing in my life is to meditate every single day, no matter how full my day is. But I've trained, I've created that neural pathway in my brain. So understand that if you're just starting meditation, you haven't created those neural pathways yet. You haven't created any kind of meditative section of your brain yet that says, yes, I'm going to sit every morning. Yes, I can't wait to get into stillness. So at first it's going to take willpower. It's going to, it's just like if you did, um, you know, people will stop drinking wine for the month of May or Lent or something like that. You need willpower to do that. If that's something that you do all the time, you need willpower to break that habit of not meditating. And you need willpower to sit every day. And so it doesn't matter to me if you do five minutes a day, just do it every single day. So I've got this little hashtag, commit to sit. Just so commit to sit. Five minutes is sufficient? It really, that's okay? If that's what's going to get you to the pillow yes. and, and create a habit, then go five minutes. Because I do find though, once you start and you can sit the five, then you actually want to sit longer. So is that, is that how it kind of naturally? That's exactly. Okay. I equate it to, um, I equate it to like the distances of triathlon. So there's a sprint, sprint triathlon, which is like an hour and you're just like breathless. You're like, well, like it wasn't even long enough to warm up. And then you move into the Olympic distance where, you know, you're like, all right, yeah, I kind of got into a little bit of a groove. I could catch my breath. And then you move into half Ironman where you're like, oh yeah, I like this pace. This is the kind of pace I could hold all day. And that I would equate like a half Ironman distance, which is about 70 miles. I would equate that to like a 20 or a 30 minute meditation where it gives you the time where you've got the breathing down, you've been doing the mantras, and maybe you get to that point where you're like, Ooh, I just want to sit into some stillness. You're not going to get that in a five minute meditation. You're just not going to get that in a five minute meditation. No way. And then you move on to Ironman distance which is like the 45 minutes, the hour, the hour and a half where you're just going to ebb and flow. You're going to think you're going to die and then you're going to get reborn and then you're going to feel good and then you're going to want to get up and, and you just stay with it and you watch this ebb and flow. And then eventually it really is this fight of the mind within itself to finally get into this state of rest. But do you build up to some point where you can go within a few minutes into that state of rest where you actually don't have to sit an hour? For example, I'm just thinking of a parent listening, going, yeah, I don't have an hour to, you know, go through those ebbs and flows. I really need to be able to do this for myself, but I can't realistically commit that much time, no matter how good it feels or how 
you know, how much I really desire that. So does your brain get trained or that where that connection becomes faster? Yeah. So the first thing I would say is that all of that is just resistance and excuse. So as, as soon as we can like notice how it is that we're moving through the world and the things that the stories that we're creating, because that's all resistance and excuse. Of course you've got, of course you've got an hour. Of course you do. <laughs> of course you've got 15 minutes. You just, I have you're 15 not... minutes. I don't know that I'll be honest. I don't know that I would, I would desire to sit for a whole hour. Now, so is that resistance or just really just, pra- you know, practically yeah. speaking, like no, if I could connect faster, of course I want to connect faster. Yeah, of course, because that's that's what we're programmed to do. Like we want to get in, we want to get out. So yeah, it's total resistance because who you truly are is that meditative state. So, um, but now that all said, let's back up the truck. If you can commit to five minutes and do it every single day and not miss a day, get masterful at five minutes. You're going to find really quick that you want to go longer. So go 10 minutes, right? And then as you continue to make this your habit, where now the mind says, and the subconscious, we can get into a whole thing about that, but like the subconscious knows like, okay, now I wake up and I sit on my cushion. I wake up and I sit on my cushion. And we had talked before the mics went on about how I did a meditation right before you called. And I did a 10-minute meditation. Now, my daily meditation is about 45 minutes. And today I did 10 minutes. And I can just, just drop into that piece really on command because I have a relationship with my mind where I can say, yeah, you're excited for the interview mind, but I'm not indulging those thoughts right now. So yes, over time, but you know, I've been doing this for, you know, almost 10 years now. So you do, you do get better at it. Just like everything. If you were training for a 5k or training for a marathon over time, you do get better at it. So the most important thing is to meet yourself where you're at, because to sit in an hour of meditation when you're just beginning is ridiculous. It's not going to work. You're not even going to touch a meditative state because the mind is going to be spinning out the whole time. So start small. Um, you know, I think the ideal time length to commit to is 15 to 20 minutes as a beginner, but start wherever that is and get masterful at five minutes or get masterful at creating a habit around taking five conscious breaths before you get the sheets are still on, your eyes are still closed, the alarm just went off, take five conscious breaths. You will be moving into your day from a connection of presence, whereas a lot of us, and I have done this, walk into the day with like so consumed with everything that needs to get done and what time it is and I'm already behind and all I want to do is go back to, you know, and it's like, it's insanity. So if taking five breaths or one breath you're walking into your day from a connection to presence. You're walking into your day from a recognition of who you truly are, which is that energy that creates worlds. It is limitless. It is peaceful. It is loving. It is wise. It is joyful. And that's how we want more people walking into the world. Like, could you imagine the state of affairs if everyone just took five breaths? So I want to tell everyone, lift the pressure You don't have to do an hour. You don't have to do 20 minutes. All you have to do is this moment that you're living right now. Yeah, and I love that, Jess. And part of what I was thinking when you were talking is that part of the practice then is you are bringing it into your day. So even if you're only sitting for 10 minutes, you're going to be more mindful in your day-to-day activities and bringing your awareness back to, as you mentioned, the book, The Power of Now, into the present moment and not you know, and I also can't help but thinking about children. When I watched my daughter when she was young, when you watch little kids, they are living in a state of mindfulness. They are just like playing and in the moment and, you know, seeking joy and doing what makes them happy and, you know, feeling their emotions and letting them go. You know, they're not attaching to stories. So we know how to do this intuitively. We're sort of born into this state of knowing, and then we lose it with all the conditioning and everything else that we're taught along the way. Yeah. And it is, it's, it's a lot of social programming because, you know, when we, when we come out, I like to call it the amnesia portal. When we come out through the birth canal and we forget who we truly are, 
Yeah, because we start immediately, we start getting labels. It's a girl and her name is this and she's the third child. And then, of course, we all know about what the third child's all about. And, you know, and so we start getting all of these limits put on us. And so, you know, we, we need these things to, to function in the world. We need these things. We need labels to function in the world. We need me to be the teacher and someone to be the student in order for that relationship to work. So we need these things. But you said a really key word, which is attachment. And when we come out of the womb and we're just these little babies, we're not concerned about like, oh, is the right arm growing in in equivalency to the left arm? Like, is everything okay? Okay, wait, the nose is not shaping up the way I wanted it to shape up. <laughs> we just trust because we are uncluttered at that point. We're clear. And you know, I mean, I don't have children, but boy, I have held a baby. And that that connection, when you're just watching them and there's no thought, that's a meditative state. And you can do that washing the dishes. You can do that vacuuming. You can do that making the bed. You can, what's coming up for me right now is um, Byron Katie. I'm a big fan of Byron Katie's work and her book, Loving What Is, is a wonderful, that was a life transformative book for me to read because she realized that all of her suffering, everything in this life was because she was not, she was fighting against what is. And starting to create these neural pathways of this stillness, of communing with our higher self, of slowing down, oh my God, slowing down, we start to create more space in our life. And this is what I mean by don't look at the actual 10 minutes that you sat in meditation for your benefit. Watch your life. Be like the participant and the viewer of the your observer, life. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Be I love the that. observer. I mm-hmm. love that so much. Okay. So you've mentioned a few books, but are there any resources, whether it is an app or a book or a class or, you know, and I'll be linking obviously to your program, the M21, but what can you leave the women listening with today to get them going on their journey? Yeah, I think there's two books. Well, three. I'm going to say Power of Now because I I really think that that's um, the thing that I love about that book is that it's, it's such a simple premise that is just revisited with so many different words that it really hammers the message home. But that can also be kind of a heavy book for people. So the two that I love that are just and they're actually husband and wife is, um, loving what is by Byron Katie. Amazing. Amazing. You can, she's got these four questions called the work. Those are massive. I mean, they will shine a light on your blind spots and it's okay of what you're going to find there because I can guarantee I might've found something darker (laughs) than what you'll find. And then the second book is by her husband, Michael Singer, which is called an untethered soul. Uh, I actually have that book. I didn't realize that was her husband. Yeah, yeah. Untethered Soul is a is a magnificent book and oh. understanding of the ego and our mind and how we kind of allow this roommate to live and direct our lives just rent free. Yes, this is so good. Okay, so Let's do a summary that if you could leave the women listening with your three best pieces of advice for moving on, I know that, you know, it's all sort of fluid on some level, but what would you say today? I would really take a look at the themes in life that keep showing up, whether they're patterns in a relationship, whether it's the thing that makes you fearful, really take a look at that and just get curious, get curious about what it is that continues to create this in your life. Is it something, well, I can guarantee you, it's something that you're here to get to the other side of. And so look at the essence of how it makes you feel. And if it's fear, then I would, in your meditation, start to heal that fear by a very simple concentration of a mantra of, I am calm. I am safe. And do you say it outside or is it an internal mantra? You want to say it inside. Yeah. You want to say, you say it to yourself. You're repeating it in your mind. You're thinking it. Okay, good. Yes. That's helpful. Um, Another one that a lot of my students have used is, I'm okay. Right now, I'm okay. 
And that just brings you into the present moment. And a big message in the power of now is that there are no problems in the now. And so that right now you're okay. So I would look at whatever the essence of that is. What are these things that keep reoccurring in your life? Number two, um, pay attention to what you're doing while you're doing it. Even if you did that once a day. So sticky notes on the fridge, on your bathroom mirror, on the dashboard of your car, pay attention to what you're doing while you're doing it because you can make a moving meditation out of anything in your life. Driving the car, you know, a lot of us are super busy and we're eating breakfast as we're driving to work. So how can you limit distraction? Turn the tele- turn, turn the television off, turn the radio off, turn the podcast off and just eat and drive. And the third thing is, is start every morning with five conscious breaths, whether that leads you to the meditation cushion where you then sit for five or 10 minutes, whatever it is, it will allow you to take that next step in your day from a connection to presence. And there's, there's, that's a gem. That's a treasure. Thank you. This has been so beautiful. I loved hearing your story, your journey with your own resistance, how you've moved through that, how you knew you were an intuitive person and allowed your intuition to guide you and for being where you were meant to be, at least for now, with your husband, BJ, and doing the work that's been in your heart to do for a long time. Thank you for sharing your beautiful story and also these great resources. Um, Jess, I'm sure people are going to want to learn more about what you do. Where can people find you? So they can find um, they can find me at yogitriathlete.com. We are Yogi Triathlete on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and then actually I just started my own Instagram account. So I'm Jess Gumkowski on Instagram as well. And so you know, message me if you have any questions or lingering thoughts about this conversation. I am here to serve. So uh, please let me know how I can serve you. And the piece that I want you to really remember is the things that resonate from this conversation, let those marinate more. And the things that didn't resonate, just leave them, leave them. They might come back into your life later. You might never hear them again. So take what resonates and leave the rest. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Jess. This has been such a pleasure. Thank you. I hope that if you've been wanting to start a meditation practice, that the information that you learned today gets you on your way. I know that I've been doing the five deep breaths every morning after interviewing Jess. If you feel like you would benefit from additional self-care strategies, then go to thegoodlifecoach.com and at the bottom of the homepage, you will see a place to sign up for a free list of 52 self-care tips. Thanks again for joining me today. And I look forward to reconnecting with you next Wednesday. Bye for now. Mm -hmm.